Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. What are the relationship goals? Like, what are they supposed to be? Because a lot of times we hear that, but we don't define them. And what we've been talking about specifically the last couple of weeks is this whole idea that in every relationship, you're coming into the relationship with hopes, dreams, and desires. Like, even if they're unspoken, they're coming with you. And, and if you have not gone back and listened or watched the other messages, they really build on each other, so you need to do that. But all of us have ideas about, like, how we're going to handle stuff kids, money, holidays, who's going to get what, how we're going to handle money, what we're going to achieve for the future, how it's going to work, what she's always going to do, what he's always going to do. You just come into every relationship and you have those ideas. But here's what we've said that's kind of the insidious side of that, is that those can quickly and a lot of times um, unknowingly move from hopes, dreams, and desires to expectations. And all of a sudden, you end up in a relationship that sounds a lot more, looks a lot more like debt-debtor relationship. And I'm just telling you, this is just a thing. Like in our relationship, this is a dumb example, but we had a huge discrepancy. And I'm just, I'm giving you the one that's easy to share on stage. But um, we had a huge discrepancy about like birthdays and stuff because in her home, birthdays were... I mean, ridiculously celebrated. I mean, they the were top. celebrated, Ridiculous. okay? Like where you would wake up in the morning, and this is not my words, this is their words. They would create this huge table, and they would call it a shrine, um, which sounds kind of idolatrous to me, but whatever, like of all of this stuff, and they'd have pictures. I mean, it was just like way over the top. And so when we got married, like my family was not like that at all. Like birthdays were like, oh, it's your birthday, 6 o'clock at night. Here's a Walmart bag with a toy in it. Like that's how we did birthdays. And I'm fine. I turned out great. But that was a huge thing. So <laughs> that's TBD, babe. Um, we'll so what, what did I do first year for Baby, you did nothing. So that's, you know, why we are. No, I think I got you a card or something. But, um, but that literally, <laughs> like, that was a big thing. And all of us, like, have those things. But my point is the hope, dreams, and desires are not bad. But if they move to expectations, all of a sudden it's I owe you, you owe me. And what we said is, oh, you always replaces love you. Like what it ultimately forces you into is somebody's got to win and generally the best negotiator wins. And anytime you have to win in a relationship, the relationship loses. And so that's just where expectations lead you. You're supposed to. My dad always, my mom always, we agreed, you said, you promised. And so all of a sudden what looks like a hope, dream, and desire to you when you're handed off the other person, it just looks like an expectation to them. It's a weight to them that a lot of times they feel like I can never measure up. And as we've said, it, 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 it just eliminates all of the margin for unconditional love in the relationship. Because even when I want to express unconditional love, they just receive it as an expectation. Like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what we agreed on. Now, here's the thing real quick about it is sometimes those dreams that become expectations are intangible things. Like, here's a couple real quick. Like, you want 
to be respected. You want to be desired. You want to be admired. I, th- I think especially a guy thing, probably because there's a lot of insecurity. So we're like, are we enough? I need you to let me know that I'm enough. Um, cherished, protected, defended, trusted. Like, I want you to trust me no matter what. And I want you to be trustworthy. A lot of times we don't talk about it, but that's the intangible desire. I want to be prioritized. I want to be pursued. I want to be attracted to all of those things. And the thing is, none of those things are bad. In fact, I'd make the case that they're even God-given desires, a lot of them. Like, God placed that in you. But here's what you've got to, first of all, ask is, how do you get hopes, dreams, and desires that turned into expectations back on this side of the column? And the answer that you're not going to like that we've already talked about is this. And this may seem unrealistic. You have to decide that they don't owe you anymore. And again, if you haven't been here for the other messages, go watch them, because I know that seems like, are you kidding me? But, but ultimately, not just because they're worthy of it, they're not going to take advantage of it, none of those things are promised, but because of what Christ has done for you yeah. specifically, if you're a Jesus follower, if you ever become one, I'm going to do this because Christ set down all of the expectations for me. And you may have all of these worries and fears, but here's the reality. No relationship has ever been healed because of coercion and control. And it can survive, but it's not going to be great. And so you've got to find a way to move that. And literally what we've talked about is relationships and great marriages are a submission competition. I'm going to lay down my hopes, my dreams, my desires for the sake of you and hopefully vice versa. Because it's why, like Paul says, you submit to one another because of what Christ has done. And even if they're not there yet, if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to go first anyway. And if you're willing to go first, you have no idea what God might do. So I say all of that as a recap to say there's still a question you got to answer, though, that's huge. What do you do with all these? Because even if you try your best to drop the expectations to go, you don't owe me any longer, it's not like those hopes, dreams, and desires go away. And again, some of these are good. Like, they they should be dreams that you should want to fulfill. Like, I think these are good hopes. So what do you do with all of that stuff? And so Peter comes along and he actually talks about, he answers the question. And I want to look at um, a couple of things that he wrote in just a second. But I love Peter in the New Testament if you just study his life, because he is so real. He's the guy that I relate to more than anybody else, because the dude, number one, is over-promising and under-delivering the entire New Testament. And I relate to that. And then number two, he has these, which reminds me of my own life, and, and maybe yours, like, these moments of, like, incredible, like, achievement. I got it right. I'm, in, I'm amazing. And then the next moment is, like, an epic failure. So there's one time that Jesus asked him a question, this really profound question, and Peter comes up with a very profound answer. Like, it's his moment finally to shine. And Jesus is like, Peter, right on, man. That's the right answer. And then literally two sentences later, Jesus has to go, hey, Satan, get behind me. Like, he calls Peter Satan. So it's like this epic triumph, and then Jesus is calling you Satan. Like, that's a Like, that's a pretty um, schizophrenic day. And so that was Peter's life. And so at the end of it, he's actually executed by Nero. But what I love about it, he saw more miracles than just about anybody else saw. He was with Jesus the whole way. And yet he knew what it was like to have everything hit the fan. And specifically, he knew what it was like to have all of your hopes, dreams, and desires crushed. And so Peter writes about all of this out of his own experience and just his realness. But here's what I want to warn you about. Specifically, you haven't been here for the first two weeks, but even if you had, some of what Peter says is just weird. And some of what he says sounds a little over-spiritual. Like, and this is why you got to hang with me, because you're going to, I think some of what we share are going to be like, that's what I expect pastors to share, whatever, what else you got for me. But I'm just telling you, what he writes is so profound. And here's the thing um, that you can talk about for a second. But like, I think the question you have to ask, opposed to what we're about to talk about is, 
what are your other options with this? Like, because I think that's the question that you have to consider. Yeah, you really only have three. So your first option is that you can just ignore all your hopes, dreams, and desires and pretend they don't even exist and stuff them deep down. Um, the only problem is, is that you can only stuff for so long, and some of you know that. You start to get very unhealthy. You're exhausted because, just as Bryant said, these are God-given hopes, dreams, and desires. So you're going to have to find a way to meet them somehow. So then the second thing that you'll probably end up doing is, is you're going to try to stay busy. And I'll never forget our first year of marriage. Um, Bryant tried to stay busy by getting in his car and driving everywhere. I don't know what it is with guys, but when they're trying to escape a situation I mean, or run it. time, you act like I was just driving around town all the time. Well, I mean, that first year, it was a rough go. I was but yes. a lot. But you know how when you get into argument, you process arguments different ways. So some of you, like, you just want to stay in and fight it out. And then others of you, like, you need to just, I need some space for a minute. And so I'm, I'm the, I need some space for a minute, especially because I generally kind of say what I want to say when I want to say it, which is great here. Yes. It's not great in marriage. And so like when you get in the argument, like I know myself, like I just need to back away. And so when you get in an argument, I'd be like, I just need to leave. And so I get in my car to leave. And I would get in my car to follow him. So... <laughs> I was a crazy psycho that was like not on my watch, Mister. And so literally, I literally call. I remember calling my mom like, "Mom, I'm married crazy." Like three months into our relationship, like she's. I was like, me. "I am not done." Um, so that first year, you would have seen a silver RSX Acura, and then my blue Mazda trailing like right behind him. Um, so yeah, it was not. It was that bad. Yeah, it was. But anyway, so you stay busy. You dive into a career, a hobby, a habit, whether it's good or bad. Um, but ultimately, just trying to distract yourself. But then ultimately, what you're going to end up doing is number three, and you're going to find somebody else. And I want to drop some truth and some logic on some of you that are moving from relationship to relationship that you've probably never stopped to think about. So if you wouldn't mind just opening your hearts and minds here for a second, because here's what you've got to understand. You are lugging everything you're loading. So all of those hopes, dreams, and desires that you've loaded up, you're lugging that with you. And we've said this over and over again, but everywhere you go, there you are. And what makes you think that this new relationship is going to give you or do for you whatever the previous relationship or relationships have not done for you? What makes you think it's going to be any different? And I have to tell you this. If you have found someone new, this new person, this new shiny version of them is only going to last for so long. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they're, they're not legit. Sure. But this is just a, real, a quick point is... Um, in any relationship, when you're moving into a new relationship, especially if you're coming out of something that's been kind of like they didn't measure up the way you wanted, um, like early on, that's as good as it's going to get at some level. Like they're never going to be better than they are with that version when you first meet them. You know what I'm talking about? Not that they're bad and not incredible, but like you're just on your best behavior. Eventually the spanks are coming off and like you're going to see what's really there. You know what I'm talking about? Or whatever the equivalent is. Um, if you're blessed to not know what spanks are yet, then, you know, be thanking Jesus for that. But, yeah, yeah the spanks will come off. That is true. Real. Anyways, thank you, babe, for that. So, because <laughs> we've gotten completely derailed. He just wanted to say spanks. So, here's the observation is that people aren't rushing into new relationships because they're eager to give their lives away. That's not why you're rushing into new relationships. No, you're rushing into a new relationship because you're hoping to get what you aren't already getting. Here's another way to say it, is that you're not looking to be selfless with someone new. 
No, you're looking to be selfish with somebody new. You're thinking, okay, these other people, they weren't able to fulfill my hopes, dreams, and desires. So let's go ahead and lug this up. And we're going to take this into this next relationship. And I bet they're going to be able to do it. And then they can't do it. And this is why some of you are serial relationshipists. I <laughs> I tried tried anyways. So here's the two truths. The first is this, is that if you are recently divorced or you're in a relationship with someone who's recently divorced, time is your friend. You need to give yourself some time. And Bryant talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but at least two years, because those two years are going to give you time to get into counseling because I'm sorry to say, I'm actually not sorry to say it, but if you have been divorced, you've gone through some real hurt. And so you need to go through counseling to make sure you've dealt with that. Um, And then also just make sure you're getting into community, but you need to wait at least two years. Time is your friend. And if you're single, and you're in a relationship and you're feeling all sorts of pressure already, then you either need to hit pause and then maybe some of you need to hit eject. But those are the two truths. That's good. So Peter comes along. And, like, okay, so I'm going to keep saying this. You're like, but these are good. They are good. But he's like, listen, that your only other options beside what Peter's about to say is what we just talked about. You just yeah. ignore them. You become unhealthy. You just stay busy. Um, you just distract yourself or you just end up leaving. And again, like all these things are great, but the point that she's making is like when you come in, you're not like, hey, how can I find you so I can just submit all of these to you and be like, no, you're like, no, could you please carry this for me? And so Peter comes along and he's like, okay, but besides all of that, like what what do you do with all of these things like in terms of a healthy way? And here's what he writes, and this is going to seem disconnected, but just follow me for a second. First Peter 5, 5. Peter says this, all of you, meaning everybody, clothe yourselves, meaning this is what you do, this is who you are, clothe yourselves with humility, and he's writing this in a relational context, toward one another. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Hang on. He's like, listen, in every relationship, this is the posture of the relationship, is that literally you take on this identity of, I'm going to out-humble you, meaning I'm going to go last. I'm going to go second. I'm going to put your needs above my own. I'm going to submit my hopes, my dreams, my desires to yours. And again, you're like, that sounds like a terrible relationship because we don't understand relationships in a lot of cases. But Peter's like, I'm I'm just telling you, this is the beginning place for where I'm leading you in terms of what to do with these. And it's not going to be intuitive on the front end. But you need to literally in every situation when you're on the edge of having the argument again, or you promised, or you didn't, or the last time, or last year, or, you know, all of those things that starts to rise up in you. He's like, why don't you pause and just ask this question? What would a humble version of me do right now? And you're like, well, I'm not humble. It, it doesn't matter. Like, this is the thing in our culture where we are so imprisoned by what we feel that it inhibit us, it, inhibit, it, it, it keeps us. We're having all sorts of trouble. Is, we are right? having all sorts of trouble. It stops us from just doing what we need to do. Like, it's, it's why in um, John 13, 34, we looked at this first week. Jesus is like, I want you to love one another. And in that verse, he uses a verb, not a noun. And we're like, well, I'm not nouning it. He's like, I don't care if you're not nouning it. I want you to go verb them. I want you to love them. And verb them can mean whatever you want. It's the whole thing. Like, but I want you to go verb them even when you don't noun it. I want you to do it until you feel it. It's why Jesus would say, hey, go love your enemy. Like, well, I'm not feeling that. He's like, I don't care if you're not feeling it. 
go do it and you'll start to feel different things based off of my example and what I've done for you. And the same is true of humility. You don't even need to feel it. Just do the humble thing in the relationship and specifically with the, the backdrop of what Jesus has done for you. And guess what will happen? What you do will start to inform how you feel. Yeah. And so he's like, stop praying about God. I just want to feel da, 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 whatever. It's like, no, 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 just stop that. Stop praying until you feel it. Just go do it. Walk out and go, okay, what would a humble version of me do? And I know that's easier said than done based on whatever the dynamic of the relationship is. But then kind of Peter raises the stake and he's like, okay, well, if that's not reason enough, this is kind of strong. Because God opposes the proud, by the way. Like, not, well, I'm kind of frustrated. No, no, I oppose it. Not that, like, my love and grace isn't available. I'm just telling you, the one prerequisite, or really there's two with God in terms of what he wants to do in your life. He just needs honesty and he just needs humility. That's all he needs. Yep. And if you're willing to bring that, he can do anything. Now, in, in essence, here's what Peter's saying as it, it relates to relationships. Um, in this place where you're not willing to power down and be humble and you're kind of stuck in your pride and she doesn't know and doesn't understand, he doesn't understand, and da, 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 you're trying to out-argue and coerce and control whatever it is. Basically, in essence, God's going, okay, so apparently you're kind of in the posture of, like, I got this. Mm-hmm. Like, apparently you got this figured out, so good luck. Like, you haven't been able to communicate in a while. You guys have been unhappy for five years. You haven't had sex in six months. Like, it's not great. But apparently you got this, so good luck. Mm. And he's going, like, the only way you're going to invite me to do all that I want to do is by a posture of humility because God opposes the proud. And I want to say this real quickly, too, just so, because I think sometimes we think, like, how dare God oppose, you know, an arrogant person. But we, as human beings and individuals, we pull back from arrogant people, right? We don't necessarily want to be around them. We don't want to interact with them. We don't really, like, you can only get so far with an arrogant person. So this isn't God being vindictive. This is just God being basically like, you know, I can't really do a whole lot with you. It's like when a kid throws a tantrum, you know, you can't be logical with them. You can't interact with them. You've just got to let them get it out of their system, and then you can move on. And so that's, that's really what God is yeah. saying. So he's like, I, I oppose that. But, and then here's the good news, but shows, what's the word? But God shows, I think it's up there, what? Favor, or literally the translation is grace to the humble. That literally when you're willing to get humble in that relationship, and it's not all about you and what you deserve, and I can't believe them, and it's 90% them, and I get all of that. But when you're willing to get humble, it literally invites God's strength where you don't have any strength. And it literally invites God's power when you're out of power. And it literally invites God's endurance when you're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I have the strength. I don't know if I can come home and open that garage door again. I don't know if I can keep bearing up under the weight of what they're doing. He's like, literally, this is, if you want God to work, I know it's not the answer you wanted. But he's like, when you are willing to humble yourself toward one another, I show sustaining, empowering, enduring grace and favor. It's literally an invitation to go, God, I want you to get involved. And then he says, verse 6, humble yourselves because of everything I just said under God's mighty hand. And depending on your background, not because God's about to throw down the hammer, because literally what he's talking about, God's mighty hand, God's source of power, God's source of protection, God's source of intervention. He's like, when you humble yourself, here's what it's doing. This is God's power, God's protection, God going, I want to intervene in your relationship. And you're going, okay, I want to get under that. And when I humble myself, I'm getting up under that to go, God, I'm inviting you to work. And this is the only place 
where I've got a chance for you to do something in this relationship that I cannot do on my own. And so I'm inviting you to move. And so I'm just telling you, Peter's going, this is the only way to access what some of you are praying for. You've got to do something to invite God to move and work. And it says, when you get up under his hand, the next part of the verse, it says, in the right time, which is always longer than you want. And it's not a promise that the relationship is going to work out right, but it's a promise that God will lift you up and God will lift you out and God will see you through. But then I think Peter is like, okay, but how do I get this at street level? Like, how do I say this so, like, you get it? Because that's great. Okay, whatever. Expect pastors to say that. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, whatever. I didn't know God had a hand. Like, whatever. Like, but give, give me something that, like, I can, well, like, what do I do? And so Peter's like, okay, let me draw the connection. And then he says these really famous words that maybe you've never heard in the context of relationship. But this is so powerful. He says in verse 7, cast. That's what I want you to do. After you humble yourself, after you give up what you deserve, after you take the posture of I'm going to submit all this stuff to you, even though I don't know what you're going to do with it. Then at this point, this, is, this starts to be the answer to, okay, what do I do with all these hopes, dreams, and desires? And he says, cast all of your anxiety, literally, all the crushed dreams, all the desires that are fading, all of your hopes that may not come true, all of the anxiety that is created from that, that you're carrying. I want you to cast all of that anxiety, God would say on me. Now, here's literally what this, this translation means. I want you to unload all of this, God would say, on me. And literally the word means I want you to hurl and I want you to throw it at me. And I'm just going to tell you this, as much as we've talked about this, or maybe it's talked about in the church, I still think we're way behind. The greatest enemy to this is your polite and your formal prayers. Yep. That's not what Paul is talking about or Peter's talking about. And you're like, well, I've tried this. I've prayed about it. Give me something. No, no, no. You've probably never prayed like this. What he's saying is all of that energy and angst that you want to take at them, God's going, I want you to bring that to me at first. And it's not going to be polite and it's not going to be formal. And I don't want you to start with God. I just want you to, no, no, no. I want you to just unload it on me. Like, have you ever gotten to that place in your relationship where like, I, I can't stand them right now. I, I don't know if I can go on. I don't know if this marriage is going to survive. I don't know if I want it to survive. I don't know if I can keep doing what I'm doing. And so he's like, you just need to throw it. All this stuff that you've done, this is not polite prayer. God help it and bless this and shit. No, God, I can't do it anymore. I don't know if I want to be married to them anymore. The way they handle money, the fact that I had to give up my car, the fact that they can't schedule anything, the fact that we never have sex. God, I just, I don't know if I can bear up under the weight of this anymore. I can't stand them. I don't want to come home. I dread the garage door going up. And so I'm just hurling all of this on you. That's how Peter is asking you to pray. I want you to unload what you generally unload on them. I want you to unload it on me, which means I want you to hurl it. I want you to throw it. I want you to stop being formal and polite. And in most cases, I want you to pray the way you've never, ever prayed before. And I, um, I'm not sure like you were in this. Go, I'm good. But, okay. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> it's better that you stop me now. Okay. Um, some of you too, I'll tell you, one of the um, incredible practices that Kevin had taught me, my counselor, and I 
don't really do, but I should do. I do sometimes. But anyway, so I'm getting off track. It's journaling. And that may sound kind of crazy to some of you, but there are times and seasons where I can't get out of my own head. Um, and I'm just going it was in circles and circles because you know how you just mull things over in your brains and then you're having imaginary conversations and you can't give your brain a break because what if you forget all of your great points and all the things that you needed to say and so one of the things he so taught we me argue she just reads from a journal yeah <laughs> like here's like the point, point. Five. yes okay. so um that's not far from the truth but um <laughs> we argue in text messages a lot that's the truth anyways we get off track so if you take a journal and you just like basically throw up in it, like just get all your thoughts down. Um, and then the beautiful thing about journals is, is that you can close it and set it aside because now you don't need to try to remember everything. It's in your journal. So you can liter- literally leave it there and go about your day. And if later on your day, like I need to revisit that, well, then there it is in the journal. But take it a step further. I know like there's all sorts of weirdness with prayer journals, but like once you close that thing, then you just be like, all right, Jesus, here it is. I just unloaded it all. Now, you take it, and it's almost like a physical way to surrender it to Jesus. But anyways, that's just something practical that we learn. But some of you need to get desperate in your prayers. And and not just desperate by the words that you're saying, but also the posture. Some of you need to get on your knees and raise your hands, and you just need to cry out to Jesus. Posture informs your mind and your body how to react and interact in situations. So think about it this way, like who are the people that walk around and anytime they need something, they put up both their hands? I know. It's a trick question. Kids, right? Kids. Kids. If a kid is hungry, needs change, if they're tired, if they're lonely, if they're sad, if they're scared, they come to you and put up both of their arms, and that's a a symbol or a sign for you to know that you need to come in and rescue them from that situation. It's a sign of dependence. It's a sign of vulnerability. And so that's what we are asking. Some of you, you need to actually do the physical action of getting on your knees and lifting up your hands so that your heart and your mind start getting the message of this is the kind of the humility I need to embrace. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob Goff. He wrote an incredible book called Love Does. And in the book, he talks about when he was practicing law, he would tell his clients when they were in a deposition to um, have their hands underneath the table on their knees and keep their palms open. Because he said, it's incredibly difficult to be defensive when your hands are open. The moment you clench your fists and get all, you get tight. And I, I remember in counseling, Kevin would always tell me that he could tell in those early years when I was willing to listen and when I wasn't willing to listen by the way I would sit on the couch. If I came in and crossed my arms and just sat tight or like clung onto pillows on the couch, he would know instantly that I was having trouble being vulnerable and I was going to have trouble receiving truth. And so some of you, the desperation of the situation needs to match the desperation in which you are talking to Jesus. Knees hands in the air, you need to talk out loud, cry out out loud, and you really need to practice the humility that we're talking about because it's only when we're humble and when we're honest that Jesus can come in and be like, okay, now I can move on your behalf. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. That's good. The best example that I thought of with with this is um, what we talk about a lot in our first year. And honestly, like we, um, we came into the relationship with um, I don't know, probably like this arrogance of like, well, we've done everything right pretty much. I mean, not perfect, but like we, you know, we're at a place where we try to follow Jesus with our heart. We've tried to do everything that we could do. And 
we got into the relationship. Our dating relationship was great. It was super easy. It was like, you know, we're going to just, you know, continue to follow Jesus, serve him with our life. Like, and God's just going to bless that. Um, and then we got married and everything hit the fan. And Nicole has been really honest about like the um, stuff that came up from her background that she or we didn't even know was there and um, diagnosed with mental illness. And I remember when it was at its worst where she was suicidal and I had no context for that. I've never struggled with that. I don't, I, I didn't, I, I just literally, and I don't mean this to be funny. I was like, I, she's, she's crazy. And that, like, it's our, every hope, dream, and desire we had is being crushed. I mean, it was, it was horrible. We couldn't talk. And I, and I'll be honest, like I had anger in me that I didn't even realize was in me. And I was angry at her because like, how dare you? Like, I came in, I, I was, I was legit. I'm re- like, and, and you got all this stuff and all these hopes, dreams, and desires are dying. And honestly, I was really angry at God because up into that point in my life, most of the, my, when I followed God, it would just work out for me. Um, and, and, and come on, I've, I've heard it said like this, and it's true. Like following Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life. And in large part, not pain-free, problem-free, but that's true. You follow Jesus the way he has for your life, a lot of things tend to work out better. And at that point in my life, that's, that had been my whole experience until we got married, thought we had done everything right, and then literally our life was hell. It was terrible. And I'll never forget, I was at a point where I was so angry, and my whole thing about being able to kind of use my words to wound, I was incredibly um, harsh. And that's probably, uh, there should be a better term that I probably can't say in church, but like my words um, were so harsh. And she was struggling ways I didn't understand. And she was angry and she didn't even know what she was angry about. And we could not get any traction. And I remember a moment, and I'm not trying to over-dramatize this, but this was the moment for me where, like, I, I, it was on my knees. It was do all the things that you don't normally do because it's that desperate. And you're just raising your hands and you're crying out to God and you're crying and you're yelling. And it's all that stuff. And there's nice words that generally you don't use in prayer. And I remember that moment, and it just hit me because I was so angry at her, and I was so angry at God, and, and it just hit me in a way that, like, was one of the most clarifying moments of my life where I just realized I can't control any of this. Like, up into that point, I had some level of I thought I could control it. Even by my obedience, I could control outcomes. And I realized in that moment I had no control. I could not fix her. I did not know what was going on, and I realized I had a lot of fixing that needed to be done in me that I didn't even know about. And I remember just in that moment, and this is going to sound so over-the-top spiritual, but just surrendering to God to go, I don't know what's going to happen with our marriage. And I don't know what's going to happen with our future and my career and what I thought you had for us. And literally every single one of these in this moment feels like it's being crushed. But I'm surrendering it to you. And I remember thinking about those verses in Philippians. My only shot was to walk out of that room and go, hey, the only thing I can do right now is try to lay all this stuff down because I don't think it's going to come true and try to love her and see what God's going to do. And that began to change things, not just because I did that, but I'll never forget Nicole in that season, like where she did not know what was going on. And she was willing to humble herself to the point of humiliation. And I would just say this, because you're not going to say it, um, being diagnosed with a mental illness and going through a really difficult time. I, I see this so often, and I say this with a lot of mercy and a lot of grace. But so many people are in really difficult situations, and they, they're under the illusion of, I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing everything I can. And yet there's like those one or two things they are just not willing to go there. And those one or two things a lot of times are the catalyst for that healing to take place. 
And I saw her willing to humiliate herself, is the way I would say it, to do anything possible to get help, to submit herself to Jesus, to go, I'm the valedictorian, always done everything right, everybody looks to me, counseled girls in college, and now mentally, I don't even know what's wrong with me. And was willing to submit herself, we were willing to do anything necessary to go, God, we just need you to heal us. And I'm telling you, that was the moment, and I, 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 like, you know all of the stuff that we've talked about, so I don't want to paint a picture. It was a lot of, there was a lot of craziness. But I'm telling you, those moments, I still believe, were the catalyst for God's peace and God's presence to start invading our relationships, and I believe ultimately God's power. And almost at the year mark, and this is not usual, and you shouldn't expect this, but God just, God just healed it things that shouldn't have been healed and has done an incredible, incredible work. But I think it was born out of those moments yeah. of like just willing to pray at that level. Yeah, and I, I mean, just to say this, like his, literally when he had made that decision, because um, I remember the day, I, it, it changed things because he started loving me in a way I had never been loved before. And I think that's what gave me the courage and the confidence to seek the help that I needed because he decided that he was going to love me the way Jesus Christ loved him. And it was the first time I understood the gospel practically. And that's what gave me the courage to, to go after the help and the healing. But yeah, Jesus did something we can't explain really. So I think when like Peter's talking about this, this is, it's what he's talking about. And like Peter, I don't, you know the story. One day he was with Jesus and Jesus is praying. And they, Jesus gets done praying and Peter and the guys are like, we don't pray like that. It's like, teach us how to do that. And so Jesus did. And then later on when Peter's writing this, he's like, so here's how you do it. Let me teach you. And what Peter does and what we just read, he actually borrowed, plagiarized, whatever you want to call it. He took a line out of something that David had prayed and wrote hundreds of years before, and he used it in that writing. And here's what David wrote. Here's what David prayed that Peter borrowed from. And I'm just telling you, the end of David's life, God said, hey, you're a man after my own heart, even with all of the stuff that had happened. And so I think you can follow David's example. And I'm telling you, David's prayer is one of the realest prayers you are ever going to see. So if you're still on the, I don't know, and I'm not sure, and no, no, no. This is how you pray when you're in that moment of desperation and you got no other options in regard to these hopes, dreams, and desires. Here, let me just read it real quick for you. Here's what David prayed, Psalm 55, 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe, think of this in the context of your relationship, if a foe were rising against me, I could hide. Like if it's just a Facebook troll I don't know about, fine. But it's you. It's a man or it's a woman like myself, my companion, my close friend. We said this earlier in the series. The reason that we hurt the people that are closest to us is because they're closest to us. And so it's like, I can't believe she, I can't believe that he would. Verse 14, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. In essence, he's going, we even went to church together. Like we had that little thing on the back of our minivan, little stick figures bound down to a cross and huge Bibles. And like, it wasn't what it seemed. And then I love this. This is so, this would make so many people nervous if somebody showed at a prayer meeting and started praying like this. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. Now, if you're in a really bad relationship, you're like, I'm going to rip that word for word, right? But come on, can you, seriously, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Like, you're like, dang. 
for evil finds lodging among them. And I'm just telling you, I just, I cannot, I cannot take and, and pull the emotion up enough. This is what David is saying. This is the equivalent of to hell with them. To hell with them. Have you ever prayed like that? Well, I don't know. Maybe you've never really prayed. Maybe you've not understood what prayer was. Maybe you had this misconception about who God is and, and the fact that he already, by the way, newsflash, he already knows your heart. And he's basically like, hey, before you take it to them, because you're going to say all of that to them, come say it to me. And David's like, verse 16, as for me, I love this. I call to God and the Lord saves me. And then verse 17, evening and morning and noon. Like this isn't a drive-by prayer. Nothing wrong with those. This isn't like, well, I'm doing my makeup in the car, like real quick. God, help me, bless me. God, do something with them. They're out of control. Like this is bigger than that. David's like, there is some moments where you got to get up in the morning and just pray on your knees. And there's some moments you got to do it again during your lunch break. And then there's some seasons where you got to do it again in the evening. And he said, I cried out in distress and he hears my, my thoughts. Uh-uh. He hears my voice. Literally, David's like, there's sometimes that you are so desperate and it's so bad and you are so crushed and your dreams are, are on life support that you've got to pray often. You've got to pray R-rated and you've got to pray out loud. And you got to even raise your voice to do it. And David's like, that, that might be where you're at right now. And then verse 18, and he rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me because right now it feels like a war. Even though many oppose me. I love this. God who is enthroned. Power over everything. Including them. Who does not change. And he's going to hear them. And he's going to humble them. Again, this is like, dang, David. Because they have no fear of God, literally. God's going to get justice. And my companion, verse 20, attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. In essence, she promised. He promised. We agreed. He violates his covenant. She violates his covenant. In verse 21, we can relate to this. His talk is as smooth as butter, meaning... Dude always out-argues, she always out-argues, always coerces. She's the best arguer, so she always wins. Yet war is in his heart, war is in her heart. His words are more smooth than oil, yet they are drawn swords. In essence, this is that he's so amazing. And you're like, no, he's not. You should go home with him. He's got daggers in a backpack. He talks amazing, but it's not what it seems. She's not what she seems. And then I think David gets to the point, he like collects himself and he kind of moves back and he composes himself because he just kind of let it all out. And then he writes these words that later Peter's going to rip and write and put into the New Testament. And, and David says this, cast your cares. And literally here's what David's saying. Hey, in case you're really nervous about this, that's what I just did. The, the, the prayer that I just unleashed, that's not really nice and not very polite and it's not formal, that's what I just did. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he's going to sustain you, and he's never going to let the righteous be shaken. I love this. It's like, come on, David, verse 23, but you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. 
By the way, right now with where I'm feeling in my marriage, the bloodthirsty and the deceitful will not live out half their days. Amen. <laughs> like, is any of that nice? Is any of that polite? Anybody going to show up at a prayer meeting and pray that? It's harsh. But you know what that is? That's honest. That's really honest. Yeah. And so the question is, is have you ever prayed like that before? Have you ever prayed like that? Um, I know you've unleashed hell on the person that you're in a relationship with, but have you ever unleashed that hell on God? Because God wants to move on behalf of you and your circumstances, but he can't move on behalf of the you that you're pretending to be. You have to humble yourself and not be polite, but be honest. And some of you are going to have trouble with that because you grew up in environments and in situations and families where you couldn't be honest. And, and, I, and I grew up that way where um, my thoughts and my feelings weren't always validated. We, we weren't able to disagree. We weren't able to be honest. Um, and it's one thing that we've really tried to work on with our kids is you're allowed to feel things. You're even allowed to express them. It needs to be respectful. But um, Bryant heard it explained this way. Um, Andy Stanley, he pastors a, a large church in Atlanta, but he said he invited his children when they lived in the home to come in and unload everything on him and just come in and scream and yell at him and get angry. And people were like, no, you didn't. He was like, yes, I did, because all of that energy was going to go somewhere. So I wanted it to come on me because I was safe and going to unconditionally love them. And I would always thank them, like, thank you for honoring and respecting and trusting me enough with all of this. And that's what your Heavenly Father is saying to you is that I am a safe place. You can come to me. You can unload. You can unleash. I am big enough and strong enough to take it and to handle it. And then watch me. Watch what I'm going to do with it. And so we've only given you half of that verse, 1 Peter 5, 7. We've given you half of it. We've said, cast all your anxiety on him. But we haven't given you the why yet. And here's the why. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares about the hurt that you're experiencing. He cares about the loneliness you're walking through. He cares about those deep-seated hurts and needs and hopes, dreams, and desires. He cares about all of them because he cares about you, and he wants you, and he's begging you to come to him with it so that he can take it on himself, and then he can do something with it. But until you humble yourself and you get real and honest, there's not a blasted thing he can do or will do because he's waiting on you. And yeah, go ahead, give it up. And I know again, the, well, I've prayed about it. Don't tell me to pray about it. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna press you for a second. I think there's few people in this room who have prayed like that because we're just not conditioned to do that. And one of the best things that you could do is to go out of here and unfilter your language and your thoughts and your feelings and all the stuff that's inside of you that again, it's so moronic. We're just as if God doesn't know. He's gonna listen, honor me by being honest about what's inside of you. Because the thing that God wants more than anything else is relationship, not coercion. It's, he, he wants relationship built on trust and intimacy. And this may be the biggest step that you take, not just in the relationship with your spouse or your significant other, maybe the biggest step that you take in relationship with your heavenly father, who's been waiting for a long time for you to get honest rather than playing this little ritualistic game of sit, 
stand up, raise a hand and worship, go your way. But there's no relationship there. He's like, honor me at the deepest level of your soul. I know you're crushed. I know it hasn't turned out the way you want. I, I know what you had hoped for is not coming to fruition. But here's the reality. It's important to you, and if it's important to you, because it is important ultimately to your, Heather, your Father in heaven. And it is important to your Father in heaven because you are important to your Father in heaven. And the reality is he cares more about you than you even care about you. And he cares more about your relationship than you even care about your relationship. And so if it's important, if it's a big deal, if, it's, if you're carrying it, it is important to him. Not maybe your jacked up view of some earthly heavenly father that didn't work out well. We're talking about a perfect heavenly father. This says if it, is, if it matters to you, if it's important to you, it is important to me because you matter to me. You are important to me because you are made in my image. And I think Peter, as we get ready to close, I think he had a better front row seat to this than maybe anybody has ever had. Because Peter, at the end of his life, Peter was the friend that David was writing about. Not literally, but, but Peter was in that place. Because he saw more from Jesus than anybody had ever seen. He had witnessed more miracles than maybe anybody had ever seen. He had watched what all of us would wish that we could watch. I mean, he had a front row seat to all of it. He had promised Jesus over and over again. And then with all that he had seen and all that he had promised, he turned his back on Jesus and broke that promise in the most epic way imaginable. And then a few weeks later, Jesus figuratively and literally opens his hands and says, Peter, And he sets him up to be a central figure in this new movement called the church and his life changed the world. And so God says to you today, wherever you're at, bring it to me. All of this is going to get unleashed somewhere and it probably already has gotten unleashed somewhere. Come unleash it on me. Come bring it to me first. Before you go to them, before you go to the hall, down the hall, before you pull up the garage door with your list of all the things that you're gonna go through, bring it to me. And as we close, here's what I wanna promise you. That is an invitation to get underneath of God's hand of power in intervention, in miracle working, to do something in your relationship that you're never gonna be able to do by coercion and control. And he says, if you humble yourself, therefore, under my mighty hand in due time, I might just lift you up and I might just lift both of you through and I might just restore this in ways that you can't even imagine. It's an invitation for me to do something remarkable. But here's, here's the last thing. When you do this, this is just a promise. The first remarkable thing that God does will not be in them. The first remarkable thing that God does when you open yourself up in this way, the first remarkable thing that God does will be in you. And what you will find in a lot of cases, and I'll tell you this by experience, is that a lot of the stuff that you had in your hopes, dreams, and desires box, not even that big a deal. And what you will also find for a lot of you is that you had more interconnected hopes, dreams, and desires than you even realized. But you're never gonna get to that place 
as long as you are carrying this on your own and you're not willing to humble yourself and set it down and set your life down for the sake of the other person. And so God says to you today, I'm gonna end with this, bring it to me. Cast all of the anxiety created by this on me. I can handle it. I already know about it. I'd rather you say it to me than say it to them. Get it out, R-rated, out loud, big voice. Scream at me if you have to, but I want you to hurl. I want you to unleash. I want you to unload all of that anxiety on me because I care for you as one of my kids, one of my sons, one of my daughters, and I care more about you and your future and your life and your destiny and your will and your marriage than you are ever going to be able to care for. And so trust me, take me at my word and stop hiding in the how I prayed about it. You haven't prayed like this. And so today, bring it to me and open yourself up. Invite me in to maybe begin to answer the very prayers that you've been praying for the last five years. And so as we close, that's exactly what we want to invite people into. So let's close the way we yeah, close. So would Everybody you guys stand with us? We're going to um, end the service with a song, Surrounded. And um, as I pray over you, when we say amen, the worship team is going to lead us in this song. And um, maybe some of you are going to relate to this, is that you feel surrounded. But there's a line in that song that says um, that we're oftentimes when we feel surrounded, it's actually us being surrounded by Jesus. And so I just want to pray over you this morning. And then as, as you sing that song, sing it as a, as a song of a declaration, submission, um, surrender to Jesus as we close. Jesus, we love you so much. We're so grateful for all that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives. And God, as we have talked about some really tough things today, Lord, I just pray that you would work intimately in people's hearts and lives. Jesus, some are um, really carrying some big loads and Jesus, they just feel weighted down by expectations and crushed hopes and dreams. And Lord, they're not sure what to do. And Jesus, I just pray that even today they'd get on their knees and lift their hands and just cast and hurl them to you. Lord, I've talked to several people even today of saying that they had trouble even getting here because their divorces were finalized this week. Or they're just in this up and down, things are better, things are worse, things are better, and they can't get traction. And Lord, they're just feeling so hurt and so alone. And I am praying that you would rush into their hearts and their lives and that you would just begin to heal them in ways they never thought was impossible, ways they never thought was imaginable. Jesus, that we would just see you put broken people back together again and that they would be lights and testimonies of what you can do when you take over someone's heart in their life. Jesus, we love you. I pray that as we sing this last song, some of us do feel surrounded. And yet, God, when we look up, we realize that we're being surrounded by you. And that's where the safety is. And so I pray that we would sing this last song as a prayer and a declaration to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.